Beer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer, a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and its topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious drinkers. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Marcus Baskerville, Weather Souls, and this week I'm glad to be talking with my good friend, Jeffrey Steffelings of Jester King Brewery. We'll get into it in a moment, but first this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection, so you are working with flavorful and consistent products. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsdtea.com. All right. What's up, Jeff? How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Marcus. How are you doing? Man, I can't complain. Well, I can, but, you know, it's like I've been dealing a lot with uh, the adjustment to Niara and going to kindergarten. Oh, my God. And, man, those traffic lines have been killing me. They have been killing me. And so I've been dealing with that the, like, last three days, 45 minutes here, 45 minutes there. And it's like, man, there's so much I could be doing in this time right now than just sitting here in this line. Yeah, but, no, that's, a, that's a big day, the first child going off to full-time school. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I remember my kids going off to, you know, kindergarten. And, yeah, it was, it was a lot. I mean, we still had one that was still at home. And, you know, so I still had, you know, my son, you know, in, in diapers. But, like. That was a big deal seeing like, you know, your firstborn become like a small person, you know, going to school full time. So that's I, I remember that actually like being a big milestone. So that's 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 crazy. You're, you're going to do that yeah. right now. Yeah, it's interesting. But before we get into our conversation, it's funny because um, me and John were talking off camera and uh, he was asking me a question like, is it still important to be a fan of you know individuals in the brewing industry? And I was telling him, like, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, I was giving him the story about how uh, me and you became friends. And the fact that it, it's crazy to go from being, you know, somebody that's homebrewing, showing up, sitting sitting the in the weathers to, to get, you know, beer and all hyped about it, being that type of fanboy about going into certain beers you were making and stuff like that to, you know, getting you to try my homebrew, to, um, you know, uh, you taking on that kind of mentorship aspect and answering any questions I needed to that becoming a friendship. So I just want to say I appreciate that. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy how, how you can look at going from one aspect to, like, having somebody that you looked up to and are still looked up to in the industry becoming one of your, like, good friends. So I I definitely appreciate that. Oh, well, I appreciate that uh, as well, Marcus. And um, yeah, like I texted you the other day, I got um, the most thoughtful, <laughs> I know you're already laughing about it. I got the most thoughtful <laughs> voicemail from your dad, Everett, you know, who lives in Sacramento. And uh, um, just saying like, thank you for being a positive influence on, you know, Marcus and his brewing career. And, you know, for which number one, I, I, I think I've, I've done very little, but, but, but I'm nonetheless uh, <laughs> flattered by that and um yeah I played that for my wife and she's just like man like that's that's cool like that you know 
um, you know, in little small ways, you were able to, to, to help each other and make a difference in, in other people's lives. And I mean, that's, that's the cool part about, I think this industry is it's not just like all dollars and cents. It's, there's a big personal element to it as well. And yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, man. I mean, yeah, uh, I told him I'm getting rid of I'm getting rid of all his phone numbers. Anybody in the industry after that? <laughs> it was the sweetest voice message too. It was so thoughtful. <laughs> it was so nice. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I mean, just like the name of the one of the collaborations. We've done, gosh, I don't know, probably like six collaborations, something like that. Yeah, at this point, right? And uh, yeah, one of them was um, I think it was the first one was called uh, First in Line. Uh, which was a reference to, I don't know, one of like the atrial rubicite releases somewhere around yep. like 2014, 2015, something like that. And Marcus was the, the first in line uh, for that release. And, you know, we'd already met, uh, but I just remember like rolling into work and I was like, hey, Marcus, <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for coming out for the release. So, um, I mean, I, I think it's, it's amazing to, you know, uh, what you've done which is like basically exactly what you said you were going to do you're like yeah i'm you know i'm gonna open a brewery i'm gonna you know focus on cool you know barrel-aged stuff and um you know meet so many aspiring brewers and not to say that you know other people aren't following through but you did exactly what you said you were gonna do so mm -hmm. i mean props to you for uh for uh for making that happen it's not it's not easy as you as we all know in, in, in the right. industry so um but uh but no that, that and you know i mean the thing i think about beer it's uh, there's very very few people who have uh you know like huge egos at least in my experience and like you know at a festival like you'll hear people say you know like it's just beer like i remember at one of the shelton brothers festivals two people were like fighting over like who was in the who was first in like the Cantillon line and the crowd started chanting like it's just beer and so i don't know i try to just take that attitude like you know just because you have a brewery that's you know well known and people like your beer and you know people might know who you are in the industry like it's it's we're just as our artists likes to remind us we're just a bunch of malt wedding hops hop sniffers so. yeah like we got it in the on the brew floor on the wall it's all about the beer right yeah exactly so we get into a couple of questions. Um, is this a, by the so, way, this is, this is such a mind right? fuck that you're here to be doing. Because usually, like, we're hanging out just talking about, like, basically what we did at the top of the show. I think most of our conversations are about, like, dad life than, yep. than beer. Than beer at this point, right? right? So, um, yeah, no, it's just this more. I love this format, but it's also, like, totally uh, new for what we do. So, yep. what, are you, what are you drinking on? Hmm. Um, I just pulled this from the, I'm upstairs where it's quiet and, um, so I'm away from our bar and our beer, but in our little, uh, meeting room fridge, we've got a bunch of guest beers that, you know, folks are either sent to us or we picked up when we we're at various places, uh, around. Um, so this is, uh, from Ale Song Brewing and Blending in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, I met those guys at the Firestone Walker terroir project uh, like four years ago or so. Um, this is a blend of sour ales aged in French oak barrels with uh, Pinot Gris, grape juice, and tangerines. It's pretty high okay. gravity, 9.5%. Um, maybe not 
compared to your stouts, but but uh, pretty pretty high alcohol. Um, so this is um, yeah, it's it's nice. It's like tart, refreshing, very vinous. It's good. What about you? Do you got a, anything you're going? Yeah, to? I'm drinking one of your 2016 spawns. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, the nice. Levedra. So I pulled oh, awesome. one out of the out of the cellar the other day. I was like, oh, I haven't had haven't had one of the old spawns in a while. It's tasting yeah. great. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah, I've got some. I still have uh, some rise and grind uh, that I haven't opened yet. So okay, we're going to enter yeah. that into GABF this year. Nice. Are you going to go out uh, this year in person? Yes. Awesome. I'll be there this year. All right. So one of the things that um, people still always talk about when they talk about Jesuit is the myth, the legend about how you guys started mixed fermentation. So being I know that we've talked about it, but I've never really heard you talk about it outside of, you know, just personal conversation so yeah. since we're here i want you to dispel the the rumor about why you guys got into the fermentation. yeah i don't know where that came from and uh for like yeah like you were referring to somewhere i don't know seven or eight years ago um someone i don't know how it's this is like one of those like internet rumors that uh we pursued mixed fermentation because we we couldn't make clean beer <laughs> and, um i mean which uh definitely just, just to cut to the chase is is not true um you know we were uh inspired by breweries like jolly pumpkin in fact the first wild ale i ever drank was jolly pumpkin's bam beer when i was living in the chicago area and could get beer from michigan um and then you know that progressed to drinking you know, like russian river and allagash and then you know some of the european sour ale breweries like you know like Cantillon and Dre Fontenin and um anyway I just went down that rabbit hole of wild fermentation and you know ultimately wanted to do farmhouse beers in, in Texas just to see if that style would work and also to do something a little a little different I mean coming up in 20 you know starting in 07 with at least planning uh you know we opened in 10 um you know we had Live Oak making some really awesome German and Czech beers and Real Ale doing like English and American styles and um yeah really no one was doing farmhouse uh in the whole southern region of the the country there were i mean not to say like we brewed like the first barrel aged wild beer in in the south we, we did not but no one was really like making that their main focus at least at least to my <laughs> knowledge um so we wanted to focus on that um and to kind of like just get a little bit of money coming in the door when we opened we did a few pure culture fermentations. We did a rye IPA called Witchmaker, an Imperial Stout called Black Metal, a Dark Mild called Commercial Suicide. And we still make those beers today. Um, but then at some point we decided to just like do 100% wild beer. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, like you were saying, like it became, oh, well, Jester King stopped brewing clean beers. They're only doing wild beers because they, you know, everything got infected. and. Um, yeah, I don't know where that, that, that really came from. We created a mixed culture, um, which is a blend of a couple of brewers, yeast, a couple of Saison strains, uh, purportedly from like DuPont and Thierrier, and then, um, added that to like some bottle dregs from like Fantome and then just like some wild yeast we captured off of like plants and, and fruit berries and, uh, you know, flora fauna around the brewery. 
created the mixed culture and just letting that mixed culture just run like a sourdough starter for years. And then um, in 2019, um, like just really just like three or four months before COVID, um, decided to reintroduce uh, wild beer, sorry, clean beers and, you know, or make, we make some Hellas and some pills and some uh, West Coast and uh, hazy IPA now, which, which we sell on site. Basically, we started brewing those for folks who weren't into wild beer. And, you know, our, our business model has evolved throughout the years to be more, uh, you know, less focused on, you know, distro and bottle releases and more focused on just like people coming out to visit the brewery who maybe have never even had a wild ale before. And we certainly want them to try those beers, but like maybe they just want like a clean lager. So that's kind of was our decision to reintroduce uh, pure culture. But uh, not that that not that that rumor like eats me up or bothers me any, any, really much at all. But the, the proof is in the pudding. We make clean beers now. So it's not like right. we, we can't. <laughs> so they can. Yes. <laughs> Whoever came it's up with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so one of the things that I always appreciated about your brewing career is the amount of collabs you've done. What made you actually want to get into doing those collabs, especially with, you know, the amount of travel and time it takes to do it? Um, what gave you that passion to want to collaborate with so many people in the industry? Um, I would say uh, a couple reasons. Um uh in no particular order like the 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 travel itself uh seeing new parts of the world meeting new people the people getting to um basically talk shop collaborate develop friendships with people in other parts of the world and um because you know not just because of the style of beer we make uh i i mean for instance like your your, your brewery i i i know you do collabs all across the country as well and and you know you're not necessarily making you know like wild ales with those, those collaborations so also like you know as a brewery whose model is to sell a little bit of beer in a lot of places um you know just getting your name out there like i remember um i saw an interview with one of my favorite bands um uh high on fire which is like a heavy metal band and they asked the the lead singer whose name is matt pike they were like hey matt why are you at south by southwest and he said, like, well, I'm just reminding people that we're still alive. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's kind of like you know, part of it as well is like just continuing to, you know, let, whether it be festivals or collaborations, you know, just letting people know that, you know, you're still out there making beer or if you're coming up, you know, uh, letting them know who you are. Like it's a way of promoting your business and brand. Um, but it's really all those things. It's not just, um, you know, kind of that, that selfish promotion aspect. There's also you know, just like being able to like learn from each other. And that goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, brewers being, I've worked in a couple of different in industries and beer has been the least antagonistic, most friendly industry I've ever been part of. And, you know, we'd come home from, you know, for instance, like we'd go to like, like side project or Sante Adarius and like come home with all these cool ideas on like how to make beer, how to make our own beer better. You know, we would talk to them about what we do, hopefully inspire them to try new things or do things in a certain way or experiment. Um, you know, as the industry evolved, it's been conversations, not just about beer making, but conversations on, you know, how to hopefully, you know, run a business as well as we can and things that we do to solve like the, the business problems that we all run into. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's a good vehicle to, to learn. And then, um, I don't know, I've, I've always had that, like I said, always had the travel bug as well. And, uh, it's pretty awesome to like, you know, be able to, you know, meet, meet and develop friendships with people all over the, all over the globe. It's, it's an amazing thing about our industry. For me, I know like <clears throat> travel has become almost menacing for me. <laughs> but that's always, but you know, I always have issues with my flights and different things like that. But even then, it kind of like took me out of home life. You know, uh, it's hard to travel when your significant other works and then the kids have school and, you know, all that type of stuff. And it makes it a situation where you're normally traveling alone. And then you're gone. I mean, I mean, at certain points, I was gone for almost three weeks out of the, month type of thing and i know you've done that as well um on your end how did travel affect personal life um how did it affect health how did it affect you know uh because we know you've also have taken a back seat recently from a lot of, of the traveling and collaborations and stuff like that so what was the reason behind that and kind of what were some of the the downfalls of doing all of those collabs and some of the travel yeah, no, that's, that's an excellent question, Marcus. Um, yeah, it was tough on, uh, it was tough on my wife, tough on my kids. Well, they were, I had mainly like little babies when I was really doing like the, you know, two events, if not like three events or collaborations per month. And at, at, I remember feeling almost like being like on tour. Um, you know, I remember, I mean, as we, as you know, we, we talk a lot of sports and you know, I remember I like one of the many sports I love. One of them is tennis. And I remember like a tennis player saying like, oh, yeah, we're kind of like a traveling band. Like I see all these same faces, but in a different city at a different tournament. And that's kind of how it was with us with like beer events. Like we would see all our friends at different beer events uh, all over the, the country. And that was a, a lot of fun. I mean, you know, it did have this kind of like nascent kind of like this underground like punk rock industry that was starting to hit the mainstream a little bit, you know, around like 2011 to 2015, where people, you know, craft beer was kind of coming into, you know, public consciousness. And, and of course you saw like big beer starting to kind of co-op that a little bit the same way, you know, like major record labels would, you know, you know, buy certain bands. And it was kind of this fun, like wave we were riding and um, you know, like I mentioned, you know, meet all these cool people, go all these cool places, have all these cool experience, get to try all these cool flavors, whether it be from restaurants or breweries or bars or whatever. And, um, you know, it, I don't want to say like it, it actually took like much of like a, a health toll because I tried to do what like John Van Waugh would always do. Like I'd, I'd see him at the festivals every morning. He's in his Cantillon tracksuit. And he's out there like running five miles every morning, okay. not drinking too much the night before. Uh, so I tried to emulate that. So um, like, I don't feel like it like destroyed my health or anything, but to your point about family life, that was tough. And um, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I do, you know, envy the situation you're in as like, you know, rising star, like, you know, young rock star brewer status uh, that, that you've achieved and props to you on that. Um, I don't envy though, trying to balance like, like little kids and, you know, the things you mentioned about, you know, kindergarten starting your wife working, um, you know, trying to balance all that, like that, that is extremely hard. Um, 
I kind of just, you know, in consultation with, you know, my wife and kids decided to um, kind of pull away from going solo and, and not traveling quite as much. Uh, COVID coincidentally, you know, kind of put a big pause on that anyway. But now that things are opening back up and you see, you know, festivals everywhere again, which is great. Um, like I've pretty much said, like, I'm going to, you know, either bring my family uh, or just, you know, send we a lot of people here, Jester King, who I, I very much trust to represent us, you know, send, send them out. Um, you know, uh, our friend, you know, Yepa from, from Evil Twin, every beer event I've ever seen him at, he usually has his wife and kids with him. So I'm trying to kind of like take that model a little more as, as well. Um, and then, you know, admittedly, and I don't know if this is being like, you know, overly personal, but like when the kids were, were like little babies, I didn't feel as bad about, you know, stepping away. But now that like they're young people that, you know, can communicate pretty well for their age and like have all these activities and can actually not just do like the, you know, the, the stuff that can be difficult, like getting them off to school every morning and making sure they're all their like homework's done and, you know, their clothes are where they need to be, all that stuff. But they can also do like really fun stuff now, like, you know, go to some of the same music that I might like, or, or I go to some music that they like, or sporting events, or, you know, just activities that we like mutually have interest in. Um, like, I, I remember seeing a, 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 an interview with uh, the actor Rob Lowe, and the interviewer was like, hey, Rob, what are you into? He's like, I'm into spearfishing. Like, why are you into spearfishing? He's like, well, that's what my 12 year old son is into right now. So, you know, kind of, kind of taking that attitude. So it's basically been like, you know, as much as I love the industry, like, I feel like I, these are years that I just like cannot miss, um, you know, for the benefit of my kids, but also for very selfish reasons. Like it's, I mean, everyone's different, but now that my kids are like, like real people age and not like little baby, baby age um it's become so much more fun yeah i've had to take somewhat of a backseat when it comes to certain events and stuff and like way out is it really important for me to be there if not then more than likely i'm gonna say no at this point or have other obligations because it became hectic i mean you know even to the point like there was resentment in the household and you know the kids you come home and then the kids are like i want mommy and it's like wait a second like daddy's home now like what do you mean so we had to go through that whole thing and it was a huge reality check for me and so i've had to kind of you know limit some of that travel kind of gauge what's more important here and there but then even then i guess charlotte's about to open soon so that travel is about to kind of open back up again um but, you know, hopefully yeah. i've always had that conversation kind of like this is for the betterment of the family right like i'm doing this for a reason you know i'm doing this to to get us in a, in a certain place financially get us in a certain place socially whatever the case may be but it's all for a reason so just give me a few years to get it together <laughs> give me my my 10-year plan we're on year six right now i think we're doing okay for it for the 10-year plan and then you know kind of gauge it from there but um we're going to take a short break for this message and then come right back for more of this conversation with jeffrey stuffings of just me 
First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection, so you are working with flavorful and consistent products. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com. We're back. All right. So let's see what other questions I have for you, Jeff. I had a, a slew of a few good ones. <laughs> I said certain things that I've never really like, or we've never really talked about. And so John was like, oh, do you think, you know, like you can have a good flow for the conversation of how you want things to go. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure me and Jeff will find out a couple of things to like talk about. Oh yeah, man. So you've done some real obscure styles over the course of the years. Um, I mean, even I've participated in some of your obscure things, like when you did the the hot stones. Um, as far as all of the beers that you've done, collaborations and different things like that. Um what was your favorite and what gives you the inspiration to want to explore so many different styles and so many different kind of philosophies within the, the brewing realm? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good one. Um, as far as my favorite, um, I think project we've, we've done, um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I like, I like what wild fermentation can do in like presenting, you know, taking, you know, the building blocks of beer and, and transforming them into something unique. And then I love like kind of combining the, like the wine element into that as well, where, you know, taking fruit and then transforming that like in conjunction with, with beer or, or just even wort. And so, I mean, if we're going on just like truly like, what is my, favorite to drink um i i'm i remember going to uh the mckellar copenhagen beer celebration a long time ago this is like 2014 or something and drinking this cherry wine from frederickstall um you know which uh um i'm trying to think man have i ever have you had frederickstall Okay. Uh, next time, next time I see you, I'll, I'll open a bottle. Um, but it's, I don't know, just speaking of like, just this terroir in, in, in fruit, there's something about where their, their cherries are grown or how they're grown, or I don't know what it is, but it's like the most expressive, delicious, like cherry flavor I've, I've ever experienced. And like, so taking some of our beer and then re-fermenting it with their juice, um just created a beer that like if i had one beer of ours to to drink it would be that one just because the, the flavors are just so so delightful um and then um i mean you you ask i'm favorite but then there was another piece to that remind me remind yeah me what made that. you what what was your inspiration for getting into some of the obscure styles that you've gotten into over the course of the years like what what's kind of propelled you to want to dive into so many different philosophies when it comes to brewing styles? So, um, you know, it was uh, um, getting into beer. So I'm going to go into the Wayback Machine to answer this question. Like getting into beer 
we're making the transition from like macro beer, like my go-to beer when I was a macro beer drinker was, was Natty Light. And then getting into craft beer, I was living in Boston at the time. And up in Boston, it's one of you know, dogfish's, dogfish heads, bigger markets. And, you know, drinking beers like first, you know, 60 minute and then uh, progressing in stuff like Raison d'Etre and Midas Touch. And um, I became like really infatuated with their beers. And then as I learned more about their brewery, I kind of saw this like, you know, uh, you know, Sam Calagione had wrote, written the book. Um, I think it was called uh, Shoot Radical. No, that was Mosier. I think it was extreme brewing and like in looking at like going you know, deeper into like, you know, internet uh, chatter about beer, it seemed, I think it was like almost this like false rivalry set up where it was like, you know, it was like Garrett Oliver versus Sam Calagione and Garrett Oliver was representing like, you know, like traditional brewing, traditional styles and Calagione was just like, oh, we'll throw anything into the beer. It'll be amazing. And I gravitated towards that like extreme brewing side, even though you asked me today and like I, I trend more Oliver, I'm getting, you know, old and more set my ways. But, uh, but, but again, I think it's a little bit of like a false dichotomy as well. And like just the notion of like, you know, beer being an extension of, of food was really appealing. And um, just, uh, you know, and then also getting into seeing like how different cultures like created flavors, like maybe the, I don't know if it's the weirdest beer or the most experimental, but like I remember reading another book, uh, Radical Brewing by Randy Mosier. And I read about uh, Gotlandstrika, um, you know, essentially like Viking beer uh, from the island of Gotland off the coast of Sweden and how, um, you know, historic brewing practices, like the malting techniques were so rudimentary that you know, all beer essentially would have been smoky from the fire, the malting fires. And, and then, you know, maybe you didn't have hops from central Europe. You had, you know, other types of herbs, like, like sweet gale um, to, to bitter the beer. And so like brewing a beer with like smoky malt and like herbs um, and then wild fermentation on top of that was, was really appealing and so, and then, then discovering like these little farmhouse traditions from other parts of the world, whether it be like, you know, like chicha from Central and South America or like Estonian or Latvian farmhouse beer, obviously like Franco-Belgian farmhouse beer, uh, Nordic farmhouse beer, like all of these like kind of weird esoteric fermentations using like just, you know, bizarre brewing equipment, like, you know, like hollowed out logs and, you know, smoky malts and, and all kinds of brewing herbs and spices, um, which is kind of fun. And that was kind of like that extension of cooking and going back to kind of like, you know, just, I had this like anti-classic style um, mindset for way too long where like nowadays I'm like, oh man, like someone executed a really good dark mild, like they're the best brewer, <laughs> you know? So, um, <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, it was just like, you know, riding that kind of like experimental beer train and, and really wanted that for that place in time from like 2007 to 2000, I don't know, 14, like that's just was my jam. And it still is to an extent, even though I've become a little bit more of a classicist. I think I've kind of gone that route over the last couple of years too. My beers are becoming less sweet, like we're putting more lagers on tap. We're starting to dive in into some other little styles here and there. 
uh, like we just did our first Marzen uh, a couple of weeks ago, or even our Brewers. I mean, we did the the English pub ale. Like when they were like, "Hey, we're gonna do a pub ale." I was like, "A pub ale, really? Okay, why not?" I think if they would have said that a couple of years ago, I probably would have been like, "Hell no, we're not gonna waste the tank on a pub ale." But you know, it's been doing really well on tap too, so that's a the extra bonus. Um, so you've expanded into kind of wine, expanded into, I mean, even hemp, uh, exploration of ingredients, uh, grown on your farm and et cetera. Um, what's next for your guys's location and where do you kind of see the synergy of all of these different things that you're doing within your brewery, um, kind of unifying into one thing. I know like a lot of breweries these days are, are trying to find ways to get people to come to their breweries. Um, but, you know, I'm sure you've gone through the, the faults of COVID and stuff like that. But at least when I've been there, you guys have always had a pretty decent crowd. Um, so being said that, um, what is some of the advice that you can give about building some of those synergies and building some of those things within the breweries? Uh, to complement, you know, uh, things outside of just beer, but also within that still making it about the beer and not just doing things for the sake of doing things. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for me, the, the tie that binds is, is, is fermentation. So, um, you know, originally fermentation of beer, and then once various things became legalized, you know, fermentation of cider, fermentation of wine, um, fermentation of bread, fermentation of pizza dough um, as far as what's next. And we're still a little ways away, um, but taking our, our goats and then, you know, starting a dairy and uh, fermentation of cheese. Um, you know, there's a company up in Ann Arbor, Michigan that I'm very inspired by called uh, Zingerman's and like they've stayed local, they've stayed independent and they just do a series of like artisan goods and crafts and foods. Um, with, you know, firm, they're, they're, they started out as a deli, so they maybe weren't necessarily as fermentation driven as, as Jester King, but, um, you know, just kind of keeping within that umbrella of like, you know, local agriculture, fermentation, native fermentation, that's kind of our, our calling card and everything kind of has to stem from there in terms of what we, we make. Um, in terms of kind of like, you know, building out other things that kind of support that or kind of attract people to that. Um, I would say that's largely driven by like our, our people, um, you know, beer, I, you know, beer, I, I wasn't the one who came up with this phrase, but like, a, you know, beer is people, beer is community. I, you know, I think it's the most social beverage in the world. Um, so what do I mean by that? Or what, what can that translate into? Um, you know, not all of the things that bring you out to Jester King are directly beer related these days uh, or agriculturally related. Um, you know, these days we find that um, like public events um, have been, been hugely impactful. Like we can take, you know, what otherwise is a slow weekend, maybe during the summer when it's like a million degrees out here and actually have like a decent crowd if we have a cool kind of event to go with it, it doesn't have to be like a major event. Like we're not putting on like a festival every weekend, but like, you know, stuff that kind of stems from like our, our people, like, like for instance, like during like pride month, like our staff had, you know, wanted to do uh, drag bingo at Jester King. And that has been, you know, 
enormously successful. I, I'm pleasantly surprised, like how many people we get out every weekend. We or sorry, not every weekend, but like every month for for drag bingo. Um, what else do we do? We do a lot of music, you know, a lot Austin live music. Um, you know, we do like a two-step night. We do, um, you know, uh, folk music as, as well. And then, you know, we vary it up with other styles throughout the year. Um, and then um, just, um, yeah. And then, then I think, you know, larger events too. So like, if you ask me like, what is still like moving the needle with like, I mean, the beer releases matter and, you know, it has to be driven off of, of really everything has to start and end with, with, with beer. But like the, the public events are kind of what becoming a little bit of like a, a tie that binds. And, you know, if you ask me like, you know, what would you be proud of is kind of like the legacy of, of Jester King. I mean, yes, doing experimental things and uh, making beer that's tied to the land and experimenting with fermentation is, is, is important, but like being like part of the cultural fabric of our city is pretty key. I mean, we live in a, a world where there's so much uniformity, like food systems are largely uniform. Entertainment can be very uniform, you know, no matter where you live. Um, so to have something that is like unique that someone can say like, oh, I live in Austin. Why is Austin, you know, if not better, at least like different than other places, they can point to, you know, among, amongst other things, like a place like Jester King and be like, that, that is singular to here, that only exists here is part of our cultural fabric. Um, that, that's what we, what we, we aim for. Nice. But I love to thank you, Jeff, for coming on today and chatting with me. It's oh, been shit, man. That was, that was pleasure. too short. That was quick, man. All right. <laughs> I, don't, I feel like we could talk for a couple of hours and I don't want to take it that far. Oh, I, I don't know, know if John would appreciate that. <laughs> but, you know, Jeffrey will be back. I mean, you will be back next um, episode on the show as the host um, and having a conversation with a brewer of your choosing. Um, that will be on air in two weeks. So make sure that you guys tune in for that. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Marcus Baskerville, Weather Souls Brewing. Cheers, everyone. This episode was brought to you by First Tea. First Tea delivers the ingredients and experience brewers need for delicious beers and innovative flavors. Flexible order sizes and direct from farm teas for your next brew. Find out more about First Tea by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com.